You'll see that today we're going to continue our journey through the Beatitudes of Jesus as they're called with the fifth one. But as I've done every week, I'm going to read the whole section so that we can have the whole flow of the passage in our minds before we begin. I'll begin reading again in verse 1 and read through verse 10. And seeing the multitudes, our Lord Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As always, I'd like to begin with some prayer. <clears throat> Holy Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to come together and to delve into your word once again this week. Those of us who know you are so grateful that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you enabled us to see Jesus for who he really is, to see and to enter the kingdom through faith in Christ and repentance, which you granted by your grace to us. And we come now to your word this morning, understanding that we are reliant on that same powerful working of your spirit, who at first enabled us to understand the gospel, to enable us to understand these words today. So we come humbly before you asking that you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to understand, please, what it is that you have to say to us through this text today. Make myself and my fellow believers here good hearers of your word today, I pray, through the power of your spirit. Quick to hear what you have to say and take it to heart, to live it out so that we might become more like Christ. We pray all of these things for our good and for your glory and in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I came across a story once that I think illustrates well what a a compassionate, merciful person is like. The story is of a, a man and woman who needed a break and went on vacation to the seaside, and when they got there, there was a great storm. And uh, the following morning, the wind, we're told, finally died down, and shortly before daybreak, uh, the man slipped out of bed and took a walk along the beach to see what damage had been done. And as he strolled, he saw that the beach was covered with starfish that had been thrown ashore and helplessly stranded by the great waves of the storm. Once the morning sun began to burn through the clouds, the starfish would dry out and die. And suddenly the man saw an interesting sight. A young boy who had also noticed the plight of the starfish was picking them up one at a time and flinging them back into the ocean. Why are you doing that? The man asked the lad as he got close enough to be heard. Can't you see that one person will never make a difference? You'll never be able to get all those starfish back into the water. There are just too many. Yes, that's true, 
the boy sighed as he bent over and picked up another and tossed it back into the water. And then as he watched it sink, he looked at the man and smiled and said, but it sure made a difference to that one. Now, I'd ask you, isn't it often true of, of many, if not most of us, that we can, like that man, see the greatness of a task and think of more reasons why we shouldn't or can't do something about it than reasons why we should? Instead of being like the boy who felt compassion for these little starfish, and out of that compassion resolved to do what he could, perhaps we may often feel overwhelmed by the demands of compassion, even to the point of a kind of spiritual paralysis where we're not quite sure what to do, so we do nothing at all. Instead of doing what we can, we just do nothing. But I ask you, uh, won't a genuinely compassionate, merciful person always be the kind of person that seeks to do whatever he or she can, however little it may seem? I think this morning we're going to see that Jesus doesn't focus on all the different kinds of situations in which we can or should be compassionate or merciful but rather emphasizes instead that we're to be characterized by mercy in our lives. We're we're to be the kind of people that are just merciful all the time, whatever the situation, however great the task may seem. That's just what we are. And so like that boy on the beach, we just always do what we can. We couldn't do otherwise because we're merciful I think that's kind of the thrust of what he's saying at least in part here in Matthew 5 7 where he says blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy now the ESV and the LSB which I'm really starting to like a lot the legacy standard Bible uh, I think they might be a bit better when they translate it, shall receive mercy. I think sometimes when we see obtain mercy, we think of something that we get for ourselves, right? Uh, Rather than receive as something that's just granted to us. But uh, I'll still follow the New King James Version, but uh, with the understanding that I mean that it's something given to us. As D.A. Carson has pointed out, and I think you may have this quote there in your notes, no particular object of the demanded mercy is specified because mercy is to be a function of Jesus' disciples, not of the particular situation that calls it forth. It's just who we are. But then what does Jesus actually mean by this saying? And trying to understand his teaching as best we can, we're going to seek to answer three questions. I've been asking lots of questions about the Beatitudes, as you can see, the past few weeks. The first one is, what is mercy? And then how does one become merciful? Because that's pretty important if they're the ones who are going to receive mercy, right? And then lastly, how is it that the merciful receive mercy or obtain mercy? So first of all, what is mercy? It's a word that we use a lot, and I think most of us think we know what it means when we use it and probably have a good idea but I think it's worth taking a look at scripture to get maybe a better idea for some of us what it means there's kind of two aspects to it we'll see biblically speaking first mercy is showing compassion on those 
who are needy or suffering. You see this aspect of mercy throughout Scripture. You see it from God, and you see it from God's people. And our Lord Jesus, of course, provides many examples of such mercy. Uh, One such example can be found in Matthew's account of Jesus' healing of two blind men. And this is in Matthew 20. These references should be in your notes. I'm going to begin reading there at Matthew 20, beginning of verse 29. We're told that as they went out to Jericho, Jesus and his disciples and some others with them, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now, you have to keep in mind here that son of David is a messianic title that they're using here. They're essentially saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, Messiah, right? When they say this title, son of David. And then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. Now, knowing that son of David is a title for Messiah, you can see one of the reasons that the multitude probably warned them that they should be quiet. It's not just that they probably didn't want to bugging Jesus or something. It's they didn't like what they were saying, perhaps, right? Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. What are they asking? Mercy. They're not specifying what for. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Now, one could argue that they already had been, figuratively speaking, because of all this multitude. Who are the ones crying out, O Lord, son of David? They are. But they would like some physical sight to go with their spiritual insight, right? And so they asked that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now the two cries for mercy are using the same language that Jesus uses in the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But that word from compassion is a different word. But they're related. They ask for mercy, he gives them compassion. Why? Because compassion on their plight is merciful. Right? And so these words are somewhat interchangeable, compassion and mercy, when we're talking about things like this. But notice also that Jesus' mercy and compassion led to action. He did something for them, something only he could do. As Kent Hughes correctly observes, quote, we must never imagine that we are merciful because we feel compassionate towards someone in distress. Mercy means active goodwill. This was well understood by the 19th century preacher who happened across a friend whose horse had just been accidentally killed. While a crowd of onlookers expressed empty words of sympathy, the preacher stepped forward and said to the loudest sympathizer, I am sorry, five pounds. How much are you sorry? And then he passed the hat. True de mercy, or mercy, excuse me, uh, writes Kent Hughes, demands action. And our Lord simply demonstrated that, and he did it many times, as we know, when we read the Gospels. Our own Lord Jesus' example demonstrates that when he speaks of those who are merciful, he means those not only who feel mercy, 
but who actually show mercy. So when he says blessed are the merciful, he doesn't mean people who feel sympathetic toward others and sit on their hands. He doesn't mean that kind of person. He means someone who, like him, does what he can. Now, Jesus can heal blind people and we can't, but we can help them, right? A lot. So that's the first aspect of it. It's, it's showing compassion to those who are needy and suffering. But secondly, mercy is also showing forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Our Lord Jesus, once again, provides many examples of, of mercy such as this. But he also once told a parable about such mercy, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And this is in Matthew 18. And I'm going to take the time to read this parable because it illustrates so well what Jesus thinks about mercy, right? In this, in this respect, his own actions we've seen demonstrate that he thinks mercy is is an active compassion for those who are suffering, but it's also forgiveness, as we'll see in this parable. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 23, says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now this is a lot of money. But as he was not able to pay... His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. This is such a big sum that probably wouldn't happen, but he thinks it will, right? Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is a pittance compared to what that guy had owed his master. And he laid hands on that man and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. The very same words that he, this man had uttered to his master previously. So what's he going to do? Jesus said he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion? And this is the same language that Jesus was using when he said, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. It could be translated, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had pity, same language again, or mercy on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then Jesus says, in one of those very encouraging statements, so my heavenly Father also will do to each one of you if you from your heart, if, uh, from his heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So what's this parable demonstrate? If we've been forgiven by God, our past 
our trespasses. If he's been merciful to us, that will show in our mercy toward other people. Our forgiveness of them. And so Jesus demonstrates through this parable very clearly that when he speaks of those who are merciful, he doesn't just mean those who are compassionate on the suffering of others, but those who are forgiving of others. Merciful people then feel and feel, they do feel, but they also demonstrate compassion to those who are suffering and those who have sinned against them. So that's what Jesus is talking about. If we look at his own example, if we look at his own teaching, when he speaks of blessed are the merciful, he's talking about people who are compassionate in these ways. Their first thought is to help the needy and suffering. And they do it. And their first thought is to forgive those who wrong them. And they do it. Because they're merciful. With this in mind, we'll turn to our next question. How does one become merciful? As we seek to answer this question, we need to keep in mind the progression in the Beatitudes up to this point. Because I think it's telling. This progression demonstrates that one becomes merciful through having experienced genuine repentance and forgiveness, I believe. And that's presupposed also in Jesus' story, right? In his parable. The believer first recognizes his own spiritual poverty, as we saw in verse 3. And then he mourns for the sin that accompanies such spiritual poverty, that we saw in verse 4. And then he comes with meekness to God, we saw in verse 5 where he may obtain righteousness, which is the answer to his sin problem, as we saw in verse 6. He's become merciful then because he has humbly recognized his own need for mercy. And he's gone to God for that. As John Piper put it, quoting him here now, the mercy that God blesses is itself the blessing of God. It grows up like fruit in a broken heart, and a meek spirit, and a soul that hungers and thirsts for God to be merciful. Mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. The key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything you are and have to sheer divine mercy. Therefore, if we want to become merciful people, it is imperative that we cultivate a view of God and ourselves that helps us to say with all our heart that every joy and virtue and distress of our lives is owing to the free and undeserved mercy of God. I think that's very well said. As John Stott has stated, interpreted in the context of the Beatitudes, it is the meek who are also the merciful. For to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they are sinners too. I think that is also well said. And I think Jesus' teaching elsewhere confirms this idea. Consider, for example, his teaching at the house of Simon the Pharisee, who had once invited him to dinner. And uh, I don't know if he regretted this or not. I'm hoping we'll see Simon in heaven. But this is a really relatively lengthy account, but I want to take the time to read it to you. There are no better illustrations of Jesus' teaching than Jesus himself, right? So this is in Luke 7, beginning in verse 36. We're told that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. 
Mind you, this says something about this Pharisee already, because most of the Pharisees would not have done this because Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors, and they, he was considered unclean. There's no way he'd, they, he'd be allowed in their, their home, right? So there's something going on with this guy. There might be some kind of openness, right? Because he actually asked Jesus to come and eat with him in his own house. And we're told he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And we're going to find that though he was asked to his house, he wasn't, uh, let's say, according to the custom of the day, treated with very good manners. We're going to discover that. So he let him in his house. He let him eat with him. But that doesn't mean he treated him really well, like he would have treated anyone else who came as a dinner guest. Because we're going to see that he didn't. But we're told while he's eating there, behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. This was probably uh, very expensive and might have been the most expensive thing she had for all we know. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. He's having an internal dialogue. He's not saying this out loud, right? Saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, knowing what the guy's thinking, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. And then Jesus says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Notice he said, You gave me no water for my feet. And it was a custom in those days because people walked around in a dusty climate with sandals on all the time for their feet to be dirty when they came into your house. And it was a custom in those days to have some water nearby so that the people could wash their feet off before they came and reclined at your table with you where their feet were going to be visible and dirty and so forth, right? They didn't do that for Jesus. This is a common courtesy. But this woman, she cried on his feet, washed his feet with her tears, dried it with her hair, anointed his feet with this oil that she had. Jesus said, you gave me no kiss. That would be a greeting that you would give to a brother in those days. They didn't treat him like a brother. See, they were kind of rude to him, even though they asked him to eat there, Simon. He said, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, what should Simon be hearing here? Simon had showed little love. And Jesus is saying to Simon, that's because you've been forgiven little. That's what that says about you. What's her loving much say about her? That she's been forgiven much. This woman that you think in your heart is a sinner, is not worthy to be in my presence, is the one who's been forgiven of all her sins. And she's demonstrating it through this great love that she's showing. You, who show me little love at all, that shows me you've not really been forgiven yourself. You who call other people sinners, right? This is the lesson the guy should have gotten. So the point is that the woman demonstrated how much he'd already been forgiven by God in the way that she demonstrated her love and appreciation for Jesus. That's Jesus' point. It has to be. She showed the basic compassion for him that Simon and his household had refused to show. So Jesus isn't saying that she was forgiven because she loved others. He's not saying that. He's saying that she loved others because she was forgiven. And that Simon was really wrong about her. The Apostle Paul later reminds believers that we should be motivated to forgive one another in the same way. He said in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. When Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, he's talking about that kind of a person. He's talking about the kind of person who, because they have been forgiven much, forgives much. They they have compassionate and merciful attitudes toward other sinners because they recognize that they are sinners saved by God's grace. And who are they to withhold that grace from others? So we become, to answer the question how we become merciful, we become loving, forgiving people, merciful people, because God has loved and forgiven us in Christ. We become merciful because of his mercy toward us. Having answered that question, I hope, we go on to the third and final question. How is it that the merciful obtain mercy or receive mercy? Now, as we found with the other Beatitudes of Jesus, so also with this one, we find that Jesus is really just echoing a teaching already found in the Old Testament scriptures. Consider Psalm 1825, which says, With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. That's not much different from what Jesus is saying when he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. With the merciful, you, speaking of God, will show yourself merciful. But doesn't this concept found both in the Old Testament and the teaching of Jesus sound as if we're granted mercy because we've been merciful to others? It it can sound that way when you first read it. And there have been those who have chosen to view it that way and have essentially taught that we do merit mercy from God by showing mercy to others. But I think a proper interpretation 
militates against that misunderstanding. First, we need to consider the fact that if we've received mercy because we somehow merited it, then it wouldn't be mercy at all. This is why Jesus says we're blessed by God showing us mercy. It's a blessing from God, not something we've earned. The mercy we have received comes from him. As Charles Spurgeon commented regarding Psalm 1825, to which Jesus may have been alluding, he says, note that even the merciful need mercy. No amount of generosity to the poor, forgiveness to enemies, can set us beyond the need of mercy. And then he said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That should be the response all of us should have. Jesus is not then telling us that merciful people merit God's mercy, but rather is simply describing the kind of people who can be assured of God's future mercy, namely those who have already become merciful by the grace of God. I think that's the assumption that Jesus is making here. In my opinion, Jesus is dealing with the assurance that comes to a genuine believer. If God has transformed you into a merciful person, you can bet you're going to get mercy from God in the future. He will, as Paul said, be faithful to complete the work that he's begun in you. Is another way of saying it. So Jesus is not speaking about how we become believers or about how we're saved in the end. A second, the explanation that I put forward here also coheres very nicely with the emphatic teaching of the rest of Scripture uh, that we are saved by grace through faith alone and not by any efforts of our own. As the Apostle Paul put it in his epistle to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Merciful people have been created merciful by God and given acts of mercy to do, and they do them, and they get more mercy. It's just grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, compassion upon compassion from their heavenly Father. So because of God's own grace and mercy, we have become merciful people who are in turn assured of even more mercy from God. That's the right way to understand what Jesus is getting at. If we, if we keep in mind his other teaching, and that of the apostles, that's just how it works. Biblically. And now we come to the end of our teaching. I'd like, I'd like to conclude. I don't often conclude with illustrations because I fear that people will remember the illustration instead of the sermon, and that bothers me. And so most of, the, most of the illustrations I have are almost all from Scripture, as you've seen this morning. They're all from Jesus and his teaching and so forth because then if all you remember is the illustration, at least you're remembering Scripture. So I'm giving this illustration with a warning If you walk out of here and remember this more than you remember the scriptural teaching, shame on you. I'm going to blame you for that instead of me, at least on this occasion. I'm glad you all have the same sense of humor I have. (laughs) Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch Christian woman 
whom the Nazis put into Ravensbrück concentration camp for hiding Jewish people in her home. In fact, they put her whole family there. She went to Ravensbrück with her sister, Betsy, who died in, in the camp. She told the following story in her book, The Hiding Place. She said this later on when she was doing ministry. She said, it was at a a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, she writes, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumenthal, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Brothers and sisters, being merciful is very often not easy. In fact, it is beyond our capability to be merciful in our own strength. And our departed sister, Corey, knew that. She went to the only source of strength and mercy. She went to Jesus in her time of need. She remembered what we read earlier, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And as we trust the Lord to be his instruments of mercy, we will find that we ourselves are indeed blessed by God with even more mercy, just as Corey discovered that day. If you're ever in a situation where you think, like the boy at the beginning of this, it's just too big a task, I, and you don't show mercy because you don't know where to start, do what you can. Trust the Lord to do what you can. And if you're in a situation where you feel like, I don't think I can forgive, this person has hurt me so badly. then call on the one who's made you merciful and he will give you even more mercy. And you'll find that you can forgive through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, 
you'll find that you can do it. And you'll find that you can actually love people who've hurt you very deeply. Because when Jesus saves someone, he does it right. He changes us. And sometimes we don't experience the depth of those changes until we're in those moments where we have to act. That's it for today. Let's pray. Holy Father, it's my great hope that I've been able to offer uh, teaching that's brought maybe conviction to our hearts. It certainly has mine. Uh, but also encouragement, because very often those things go hand in hand for your people. We are convicted in order to be encouraged very often. And so, Lord, I pray that for those of us who have failed to show mercy or forgiveness when we know we should have, when we're in that situation where we feel we can't, oh, Lord, help us to remember that we can because we can do all things through Christ who who strengthens us. We can be merciful through he who has showed us the greatest of all mercy in giving his life on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead and conquering death on our behalf, ascending to your right hand where he ever lives to intercede for us in every moment to help us to be the merciful people he desires us to be in showing forth his love to the world. Help us to leave here encouraged and filled with faith to go out and be merciful. I pray. And for anyone here today who has not come to know your mercy, your grace, your free gift of salvation that cannot be earned. And we thank you, God, for that because we couldn't earn it if we tried. We just pray that you'll do for them what you've done for us. Grant them faith and repentance. Show them your mercy. Help them to trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And then to come and talk to one of us about their new faith in Christ so that we can help them to grow and show them even more of your love and mercy. I pray all these things for our good and for your glory and in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you once again for your kind attention.